We are glad that you're here today. We've been in a series this month that we just kicked off last week. It's called Talk to Me. So we want to talk a little bit about prayer today and continue talking about that throughout the rest of this month. So if you have a Bible this morning, would you join me in Exodus chapter 32? Exodus 32, that's way back in the Old Testament. That's the second book in the Bible. And I want to look at a very specific prayer that Moses prayed. But before we do that, I just want to talk for a moment about prayer because this month we're placing an extra focus on prayer. And for many of us, we're fasting. As we pray, we're seeking God. We're cutting some things out in our life to seek God, get a little bit closer, to lean in and hear his voice. And that's the goal this month as we pray and seek after God. But you know, when we've labeled this series or titled this series, Talk to Me, the truth is prayer is nothing more than talking to God and talking with God. That's what prayer is. And I know that when I say that for so many people, you're like, yeah, I know that's really obvious. But I guess the reason why I wanted to just take a moment and say that today is because I think that there are many of us when it comes to prayer, if I were to talk to you about prayer, what your prayer life looks like, there are many of us, we've made prayer a difficult thing. For a lot of us, prayer is a boring thing because we feel like it's us in a quiet space talking and just putting these words up into the atmosphere and hoping that God catches some of them, that God hears some of them, and that maybe he'll even respond to some of those requests that we have, and maybe he'll even answer some of those prayers. For a lot of us, we view it as this quiet time and this quiet space, and maybe we've even made it a boring thing in our life. But the truth is, prayer is talking with God and having conversation with God. You know, in order to have a conversation, it takes two people. So if our prayer life looks like us just talking and us just talking and us just talking, but we never actually take the time to listen to what God might be saying back to us in the different ways in which he might want to communicate with us, if we don't take that time, really, we're just having a conversation or just talking to ourselves because prayer is like a conversation. It's a two-way street. It goes both ways. If I wanted to have a conversation with you, then I need to know how to talk to you and to listen to you. If I don't listen to what you're saying, then how am I going to know what to say back? I think that if I was just to be really honest, I'd have to admit to you today that I've been guilty of doing this in conversation before. I've been guilty of being excited about hearing myself talk and not listening to what you have to say, and really the conversation is me talking and waiting for my next turn to talk. Is anybody like that? You're not going to admit it, I know. Okay, some people are being honest. I like it. But the truth is, a healthy conversation requires two people to converse, to talk, and to listen, to listen, and to talk. That's what prayer is all about. I want to look at a prayer in Exodus 32 with you today that's going to help us understand what a healthy talk with God and a healthy conversation with God looks like. But I think it's important that we also know that prayer is not something that we should allow to become a dead habit or ritual in our life. Instead, it needs to be something that's fresh, that's alive, and it's effective and powerful. I think that many of us, we have a problem with prayer and we struggle in our prayer life because we feel like what we have to do is we have to find a quiet place and we need to kneel down on our knees and we need to pray for all the needs of our lives and the needs of our family, the needs of our friends, the needs of our neighbors, the needs of our nation, our leaders. We pray for our finances, for our church, for our careers, and the list goes on and on and on of all the things that we feel like we need to pray for. And that's okay. But sometimes we feel like if we don't take an hour or two hours out of the day where we just consecrate our lives to pray to God for all of these things, we feel like spiritual wimps. We feel like we're not doing enough, like maybe we're not pleasing God with our lives, like maybe we're not on the same wavelength as God. And I think if we ever make prayer a religious activity or simply a spiritual discipline that doesn't have any life and blood coming to it, and there's nothing fresh about it, and there's no real interaction with God, then that's what prayer can become. It can become this dead, boring, dried up religious thing. But I don't know about you, I, I want to have a good prayer life with God. Anybody here want to hear from God? 
Like when you talk to God, do you want him to answer your requests? When you ask God for wisdom and when you ask God for input, does anybody else here want God to actually let you know what it is that you're supposed to do? I know that I do. There's different ways in which he does it. And we're going to talk a little bit about that in a second, but there's a couple of scriptures I want to point to that I think are very important for understand when it comes to having a healthy prayer life. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 5, he said these three words in verse 17, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing ceasing. If we don't properly understand the context of what the Apostle Paul is saying there, what we might think is that God is giving us a command that we're supposed to abandon everything else in life, and we're supposed to quit our jobs and build a prayer closet in our house, and we're supposed to just spend every waking moment of our lives on our knees praying for God to do something. Well, that's not exactly what he's saying. That would sound pretty legalistic. That would sound pretty boring to me, to be really honest with you. What God, or what Paul is saying here, is that God wants to continually have interaction with us, we can pray without ceasing. How is it that we're able to do that? Well, it's because if we are in Christ, the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of us, constantly there, constantly available, constantly open to talk to. And here's a good example of this. If I were to try to have a conversation with one of you, if I were to come up to you and have a conversation, you and I could talk, but at some point you're gonna go home and some point I'm gonna go home. It happens every Sunday after service, especially, let me just tell you this, after you preach a couple times on a Sunday, you know, you want to hang out and you want to meet people and talk to people after church, but I got to be really honest, about 10 minutes before the message is over in second service, my man mind has run out of words, okay? And so as soon as church is over, I'm like, I'm up for having some conversations, but man, you know pretty soon, you're like, I'm running out of things to say, and you're going to go home, and I'm going to go home, and at some point, our conversation is going to come to an end. Now, we live in a day and age where I can pick up the phone, and I can call you, or you can call me, and we can begin a conversation, but at some point, you're going to push the red button, and the conversation's going to be over, and we'll have to pick it up another time. We can text back and forth and have a conversation that's kind of ongoing, but at some point, you're going to lay your head down, and I'm going to lay my head down. The conversation's going to come to an end, and we're going to start a new one later on. And that's the way it works when it comes to human interaction, but what's interesting about God is that the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of us. We have the opportunity all the time, daily, every day, every hour, every moment, to be in constant communication with God. And when Paul says pray without ceasing, he's not saying religiously, you must pray without ceasing, otherwise you're not pleasing God. What he's doing here is he's saying, I encourage you to continue to have a conversation with God because God is here, God is ever-present, God is ever available. There is a line that you can always dial and get a hold of God at all times. The conversation with God never has to come to an end. That's the beauty of what a healthy prayer life should be. Now, I know that you're all waiting in Exodus 32, and I'm going to get to you in just a moment, but if you were to go on in Exodus 33, the Bible says in Exodus 33 that God talked to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. In other words, this wasn't just Moses humbling himself to Almighty God. This was Moses developing a conversation with God where he wasn't just master, God, Lord of his life. He was God, my friend. God, my friend. How cool is it to know that through my prayer life and through your prayer life, we can become friends with God? That's such an amazing thing. We can become friends with God. If you ever need anything, if you ever need help with something, what do you do? You call a friend. If you call somebody that you're close to, that you're tight with, what do they do? They come running. They're available to help. They'll give you what you need. They're willing to lend. They're willing to give a helping hand because that's what friends do. And the Bible literally tells us that that is the kind of relationship that Moses cultivated with God. 
And I think it's really important that all of us understand that a healthy prayer life is nothing more than continually having a moving and growing conversation with God where we involve God in every area of our life. Amen? Okay, now with that said, I want to look at this passage of Scripture this morning from Exodus 32. And very quickly, let me just give you the background of what's happening as we get here to Exodus 32. God has sent Moses to Egypt to deliver his people from slavery and bondage in Egypt. He's gone to Pharaoh. He said, let my people go. God brings the plagues and other things upon Egypt because Pharaoh's disobedient. God, or Moses takes the people of Israel. They leave Egypt. They cross across the Red Sea. God does this amazing miracle where he parts the waters. Then the waters come down on the Egyptian soldiers that are following him. And it takes all of these people out. And now here they are in the wilderness pursuing this promised land that God has told them he would give to them. Now it all sounds like things are good, but there's a bit of a problem because the Israelites are a very disobedient people. They have had a hard time really believing that God is good. They've had a really hard time believing and trusting in God's commandments. Even though God has laid out this way for their lives to prosper, they're oftentimes disobedient. They don't wanna believe God. They become stubborn and stuck in their ways. And at the beginning of Exodus 32, the Bible says that because they could not see God with their own eyes, they needed to make an image for themselves that they could worship, that they could give glory to and honor as if that were God, something they could see with their own two eyes. And so Moses is up on top of the mountain with God, and God is laying out the terms of this new covenant. This new covenant he's going to give to them is a covenant that will help them stay in right standing with God. So Moses is up on top of the mountain, ironing out the details with God. The Bible says that God with his finger is inscribing the covenant on tablets. And while they're up there, while this monumental thing is happening, the children of Israel down at the bottom of the mountain, and they've made a golden image. The Bible says it's a golden calf and they begin to worship it, and they begin to glorify that as their God that brought them out of Egypt, the God that brought them out of slavery, the God that brought them out of bondage. And the fury and the wrath of God begins to unfold as he looks down and sees what's happening while he's on the mountain with Moses. Let's pick it up right there and read from Exodus 32, starting at verse seven. And the Lord said to Moses, go get down or go get off the mountain, for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf and worshiped it and sacrificed to it and said, this is your God, O Israel, and that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Now I wanna show you some really interesting language that we see immediately here in this passage of scripture that you need to catch, okay? God is talking to Moses because he sees what's happening down at the bottom of the mountain. And listen to what God says. Go and get down. Get down from the mountain. Leave my presence now, Moses. For your people, Moses, whom you, Moses, brought out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. Now let me ask you a question real quick. The Israelites, whose people were they? They were God's people. And who was it that brought them out of the land of Egypt? It was God. It was by his mighty works, by his miracles, by his mighty hand. But it's interesting that when God looks down the mountain and sees that they have made an image, a golden calf for themselves that they are now worshiping, he looks at Moses and says, you need to get down there and take care of your people, your people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt. It's like God's looking and saying, well, they were my people when they obeyed me, but you know what, I'm pretty much tired of these people because they constantly disobey me. And you know what, I don't even want to associate my, pe my name with these people anymore. Let's just call them your people, Moses. They're your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt. They're the people that you have led all this time. 
Now that's a pretty interesting thing because what we see right away is that their sin is separating them from God. We need to have a healthy understanding of what's really happening here. God is so upset with them and their disobedience and their sin that he's ready to completely do away with them. Look what it says in verse nine. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed they are a stiff-necked people. Now that's pretty interesting words. How many people would hate it if God were to look down at you and your obedience and say, I see that person and they are a stiff-necked person. That person, every time I tell them to do one thing, they go and they do another thing. I don't know why, but I give them a good way to go that will help their life prosper, give them the greatest and highest purpose that I have for their life, and it seems like they don't want to obey. It's interesting because the language here in the Old Testament is very, very significant. It's very particular. That phrase, stiff-necked, they are a stiff-necked people, it actually refers to the way in which a mule or an ox would go against the drive of the master in the plow. So the, the master was on the plow and he would be taking the mule or the ox one way and the mule or the ox would be stiff-necked and they would say, I'm not going that way, I'm going this way. It's as if what God is saying right here to Moses is that your people, Moses, not my people anymore, but your people, they're a bunch of stubborn, stiff-necked mules. Anybody got a spouse that's sometimes a stubborn or a stiff-necked? I mean, I don't or anything. See, that guy raised his hand up there. Man, you're bold. God is saying, my people are a bunch of stubborn, stiff-necked mules. Some of you probably say that, actually, you just say it in different words. But here's the thing. God's making it very clear that he's not happy with his people, and he's telling Moses, I'm about ready to do away with these people. I don't even want to be associated with them anymore. Look at verse 10. Now, therefore, Moses, leave me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them. I may consume them. The wrath of God would be like fire to come down and consume them, to completely and utterly destroy them. And then finally he says, and I will make of you, Moses, a great nation. Now, I read you all this part of the story because I wanna give you some context here. What we see is that God is so upset with this disobedient and sinful people. Now, I know a lot of you right now are thinking, I thought we were gonna talk about prayer today, but right now we're talking about God and the fury of God and the fire of God coming down and burning all of God's people up. Don't worry, we're gonna to get to where we're going in just a moment, but I wanna say this very quickly before we move forward. This is all pre-Jesus. The judgment of God was ascended at the cross when Jesus went to the cross for your sin and for my sin. And I wanna tell you something today, that if you're in Christ, God ain't mad at you. Everybody hear me this morning? If you're in Christ, God ain't mad at you. And Christ is the opportunity, the cross is the opportunity to get on the right side of God, to step into his truth, to see to it that we are walking in his principles, that we're walking in his promises, that we have his favor on our life. The cross gave us that opportunity. So I wanna tell you right now that God's not looking down at your life right now saying, how can I consume that evil sinner? He's given us the option to choose life by placing our faith and our hope in Jesus. Amen? That's good news. Now. The reason I wanna say all this today is because here's a question I wanna ask you. God has just said everything he wants to do to make things right when it comes to how sinful his people are. If you read a little further in the story, what we see is that God did not send down fire to burn these people up and consume them. So here's the question I have for you. Does God change his mind? I mean, if you read this story and you don't have a lot of context and maybe you haven't read the Bible too much, it might be easy to look at this and say, God changed his mind. I wanna just tell you and just kinda of propose a thought to you this morning that as God is saying all of these things to Moses, I believe that God is giving Moses a test. I believe that God is looking at Moses and he's trying to figure out, Moses, where's your heart? 
Where are you at on this? How do you feel about these people? These people whom your purpose is wrapped up in, where is your heart when it comes to these people? And now, before we read the rest of the passage, I wanna tell you a little bit more about Moses. If you look at Moses' life, Moses died at 120 years old. It's really incredible when you go back and study the life of Moses, how his life really was divided into three phases of 40 years. See, the first 40 years of Moses' life, he was the privileged son, the Hebrew son, who grew up in Pharaoh's palace. He was not Egyptian born, he was not Pharaoh's son, but he was the favored Hebrew son who grew up in the palace while his people suffered in slavery in Egypt. And during that time, God began to brew and grow a passion on the inside of his heart for his people. So much so that around the time that Moses was 40 years old, he saw an Egyptian man beating an, a Hebrew man, and he decided to take vengeance into his own hands. He killed the Egyptian man, and then he lost favor with Pharaoh because of it, so he had to flee. So that exited the first 40-year phase of his life, and he moved right into the backside of the desert. He got married, and he became a shepherd, tending to his father-in-law's sheep for 40 years. And then somewhere around 80 years of age, Moses has an encounter with God at a burning bush when God begins to lay out the purpose of Moses' life to him. He says, I want you to go to Egypt. I want you to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. I'll do miracles. I'll take care of you. You can say that I'm the one who sent you, and I want you to be the one to deliver my people. These are the three phases of Moses' life, 120 years, 40, 40, and 40. What's interesting about that, and the only reason I say that to you this morning is because this has been preached many times. This is not an original thought of mine, but Moses' life really gets broken up like this. The first 40 years, he was learning to be a somebody. The second 40 years, he was learning to be a nobody. And in the third 40 years, he was learning to serve everybody. And as God did this in his life, he began to grow this passion inside of Moses where the purpose that God had for him came alive so that when he went to serve and lead God's people, he carried God's heart in doing so. Now, that's where I want to pick up the rest of the story, and I want to show you what happens, because where we left off, God was angry. God was upset. He's ready to do away with these people. Now, look what happens in verse 11. Then Moses pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Now here's the thing I wanna show you that's so important. Look at what he says back to him. After God has said, you led these people, your people out of Egypt, Moses says back to him, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? It's like Moses is pleading for the heart of God and saying, these are your people, they're not my people, I'm here to serve your purpose. So why is it that you're trying to disassociate yourself? Let me just remind you, these are your people, you're the one who brought him out and you did it with your mighty hand. Here's the first thing that I want to tell you this morning. This is the first uh, three observations from Moses' prayer and Moses' conversation with God. The first one is this. Moses appealed to the hand of God. He said, you did this with your mighty hand. Hand. Let me tell you this morning, if you are praying for God to move on your behalf, if you're saying, God, you know, I'm sick in body, I want to see healing happen in my life. God, we've been believing and praying for something, and we need you to provide that. God, we've been believing that you're going to come through and provide for us, whether it be financially or materially or things that you need. There's things that you're believing for, and you're asking God to get involved. What you're asking for is for the hand of God to move in your life. And that's good. 
That's okay. Let me just tell you that all of us need the hand of God to be active in our life. I want to tell you that behind the scenes, I need God to be working on my behalf all the time. There are times in life where we're going to come up against opposition, and what we need is the hand of God to move mountains, to do miracles, to make a way when there is no other way. We need the hand of God to move in our life. But here's how you see the hand of God move in your life. You see, Moses spent all that time being a somebody and then being a nobody, and God used all those years to mold Moses into who he was, to, to burn a passion in his heart for God's people. And now here he is having to learn or to serve and lead everybody. And I believe when I look at this passage, the thing that I see is that Moses was able to appeal to the hand of God because he had already connected with the heart of God. I want to tell you this morning that whatever it is that you're currently praying for this month in January as we focus on prayer and asking God to move in our lives, I believe we will see the hand of God at work in our lives if we first connect with the heart of God in our lives. See, if we can figure out the heart of God for every single situation of our life, then we're okay saying, God, have your way in these areas. And when we connect with the heart of God, then God knows I have your heart, now my hand can move in your life. And it's interesting too because if you look at what's really happening here, Moses is saying, look, the hand of God is what brought these people out of Egypt. And now you're saying the hand that rescued them is the same hand that's going to consume them and destroy them. He's appealing to the hand of God. God, don't let your hand move from rescue to suddenly destruction. And I believe the biggest reason why he's able to talk to God like this and appeal to God and plead with God is because he's first connected with the heart of God. Now let's just flip this backwards for a moment. A lot of us, when we pray to God, our entire prayer is made up of wants and wants and needs and needs and give me, give me, and God do this and God do that. And listen, God says, bring your requests to me. That's okay, there's nothing wrong with that. But I wanna ask you a question this morning. What would happen if our prayers sounded a little, more, a little more like this? God, let me see this the way you see it. God, give me your heart. God, give me your eyes. God, allow me to see this situation. God, allow me to see these relationships the way that you see them. God, allow me to care about your people the way that you do. Can I just tell you as a pastor, when we pray for our church and when we pray for people, one of the things that I, have, I find myself praying for all the time is, God, the only way I'm going to care about this and do a good job is if I care about it as much as you do. If I start to see these people and love these people and care about these people the way that you do. And as a pastor, I need to have the heart of God. If I'm going to love on his people, I need to love them the way that God loves them. Let me ask you today, when you pray, are we asking God to give us his heart so that we see things the way that God sees things? Because if we can align our hearts with the heart of God, we will then see the hand of God move in our lives. Amen? I want to tell you, I think that if we spent more time connecting with the heart of God, then we would see more often the hand of God at work. I'll also tell you this. I think that if, if we spent more time connecting with the heart of God, we would be asking for the hand of God to move less in our lives. You might say, why is that? Because a lot of times we spend time in prayer asking God to fix our, our problems, to clean up our messes, the things that we had done wrong. When originally, if we had had our heart connected with the heart of God in the first place, we wouldn't have made some of the mistakes that we've made. And if we can connect our heart with the heart of God, we'll see his hand move. But God wants our heart. God wants our heart. God wants our heart. God wants to know that we're connected with his heart. If you look back throughout scripture, the Bible says that David was the man after God's own heart. We saw the hand of God move mightily in David as a king, as a warrior, as a leader. And I believe that the hand of God moved mightily on David's behalf because God had David's heart. You look a generation down the road and you see Solomon. 
Solomon was a young teenager when his father died and he suddenly inherited the throne. He was the king of Israel. The Bible says he's having a dream one night and he's crying out to God in his dream and he says, God, I can't do this. I'm just a young teenager. I'm not my father. I don't have his experience. I don't have his characteristics and his qualities. I'm just me and I can only be me and I can only do so much. But God, if only you would help me to do a good job. These are your people. They're not my people. And the Bible says that in his dream, God said to Solomon, what is it that I can give you? Ask, I'll give it to you. And he asked for wisdom. This is the same man who later would go on to say, with all thy knowledge, seek understanding. If you read throughout the Proverbs, we see not just knowledge and wisdom, we see the heart of God expressed for humanity. And I wanna tell you today that the reason why God was able to do great things through Solomon's life for so many years was because Solomon had God's heart and the hand of God followed. If we can connect with the heart of God, we'll see the hand of God move on our behalf. Now, let's keep going here because it's really, really important that we understand this. Look at verse 12. Why should the Egyptians speak and say, he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth? This is Moses pleading with God now, and he's saying, look, God, you brought them out of Egypt, and you took them away from slavery and from bondage, and if you destroy them, if you consume them, the Egyptians are going to look back at this, and they're going to say, well, their God led them out of slavery and bondage in Egypt just to take them out to the mountains and destroy them. And he's saying, God, how does your name get glory for doing that? God, how are you praised in that action? Now, here's the thing I want to ask you this morning. How many people remember last week when we talked about the Lord's Prayer? The disciples look at Jesus and they say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Jesus says, our Father who art in heaven, in the second line, hallowed be thy name, or hallowed be thy name. If you look at what that really means, hallowed be thy name, honored be thy name, glorified be thy name. That's what that's saying. Moses is asking the question here. He says, if you destroy your people, the Egyptians are gonna look and say, so their God rescued them from slavery in Egypt only to take them out into the mountains and destroy them? Moses is literally saying, God, how is it that you get glory from that? How is it that you're glorified when they're gonna look and say that their God led them out only to kill them? And I think what Moses is saying literally is, God, how can, we, how can I plead to you to see your name get glory in this situation? Now here's the thing, God is sovereign, and if God makes up his mind about something, we can plead, but God's will is going to be done however he sees fit. But Moses has now taken on the heart of God, and he sees these people with grace, and he sees them with mercy, and he pleads to God, and says, God, do something in which your name would receive glory, because I don't see how your name receives glory by doing that. If we go on, we see what happens. The people aren't actually consumed by fire. But the question I want to ask you this morning, and I have to look in myself at my own prayer life, and I would ask you, when you pray, when you ask God to get involved in your life, whose glory are we appealing to? And that's the second thing I want to show you this morning, that Moses appealed to the glory of God. God, how can you get glory out of this situation? I think that our prayer life and our lives in general would look totally different if we asked God every time we pray and in every situation, God, how can you receive glory from this situation? How can you receive glory from this problem? How can you receive glory from this challenge that I'm facing right now? God, what is it that you can do that make your name more glorified, more honored, more praised in the midst of my situation? I was telling this to first service earlier. A lot of times you hear people ask, what's the meaning of life? What's the purpose of life? I know that those are big, deep questions. But to be really honest with you, this is my conviction. I believe that the purpose of life, not just for me, but for you and for everybody, that the greatest purpose in our lives is that God would be glorified in every single area of our lives. 
I believe that's why God put us on this earth, so that he would be glorified, that he would be honored. Hallowed would be his name in the earth through our lives. And when we bring God our challenges, when we pray to God about our needs and situations and things that we're facing, the question we should always ask is, God, in this relationship, how can you be glorified? God, in my marriage, how can you be glorified? God, in my workplace and in my business and all my efforts financially and in my career, how can you be glorified? God, in all these different things and my kids, how can you be glorified? In the relationships that I have surrounding me, how can you be glorified? If we can reach that place where we're asking God to be glorified and to glorify himself through us, what we'll see is the favor of God resting upon our lives and God doing great and mighty things amongst us. When you pray, who do you want to get the glory? Do we pray for God's blessing so that we can look like the glorified servants of God or so that God can be glorified and we can look back and say, man, there's no way that I could have done that. That was absolutely a God thing. Ashley and I were driving down the street yesterday morning. We are on our way to Costco, okay? By the way, Costco's a nightmare in this town. Like, I don't know what it is. So we drive to Lake Elsinore. Don't, I hope nobody heard me say that because like it's relatively quiet there sometimes. So just kidding. Um, but we were driving to Costco yesterday and we were just talking about something that we're praying for. And I just gotta be really honest with you. This is something we're believing for. And right now I ask and wonder and think, okay, God, how are you gonna do that? And I have absolutely no clue. I got no idea how God is gonna do this thing that we're believing for. Like, I don't know. It doesn't make even a little bit of sense. I have no clue, but I'm just like, God, I looked at my wife yesterday and I said, when I think about this and when I pray about this, the only thing that I keep coming back to is, God, when you do this, let it be so amazing that we look back at it and say, there is absolutely no way in the world that we could have done that and we would receive zero glory for having done it or having received it. If we prayed for God's glory in every area of our life, I believe that God would do some really amazing things because we wouldn't care about getting the glory, we wouldn't care about getting the attention. We would look at it and say, my God did that because my God is the God of the impossible. My God is the God that answers prayer and everything that he does is not for my glory, but it is to the glory of God, amen. All right, last thing I want to show you this morning, and I don't want to skip over it lightly, but in verse 12, the Bible says that, the Bible says that Moses looked at God and he said, God, turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. This was the request that he was wanting to make as he's pleading to God. Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Now, look at what verse 13 says, because this is so great. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, or Jacob, your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have spoken of, I give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. Now there's a reason why this is important and the reason why is because if you look back at verse 10 when God was so furious and God was so angry and he's ready to let his wrath consume these people, he says, I'm willing to let these people be destroyed and then he tells Moses, and I will make of you, Moses, a great nation. But look what Moses does. He reminds him, yeah, but what about the promise that you made to Abraham? And what about the promise you made to Jacob, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that they would, their descendants would inherit this great promise? See, all the way back in Genesis 12, God had already said that he would make Abraham a great nation. Is God gonna change his mind? Well, technically Moses was the seed of Abraham, so no. But God, or but Moses is pleading 
on these people's behalf. And he's saying, listen, God, you made a promise to your ancestors. You made a promise that they would be blessed, that all the nations of the earth would be blessed. It would happen through them. And these are your people. These people are the heirs of that promise. These people are here because they came from Abraham. They're your people. And I'm here today, God, and I'm reminding you of the promise that you made to Abraham. Don't destroy these people, but instead fulfill your promise through them. The third thing I want to show you this morning, this is the last thing, is that Moses appealed to the promises of God. This is really important that we all understand this, especially if we're walking with God on a daily basis, and here's why. Do you think that God forgot his promises? Do you think God forgot those promises that he had made? No. God knew what the promises were that he had made. But yet we see Moses reminding him, God, you made this promise to our ancestors. These people are their heirs. These are their descendants. These are the people that you promised all of those things to. You know, it's interesting. When you look at the ministry of Jesus, there were so many times when Jesus would deal with somebody who was sick or who had some sort of need in their life, and they would come to Jesus, and Jesus would see their need immediately. Immediately. It stood out to him. He knew exactly what it was they needed. It's not because he could read their mind or something. Most of the time, he could see what their need was. Jesus would look at him, and this is what he would say. What do you want me to do for you? We've talked about this before. If you have a need that's visible, where everybody knows what your need is, and everybody can see what your need is, it seems like it would be obvious. Well, Jesus, why are you asking? Can't you see? I got a problem with my leg. I got a problem where I'm sick in body. There's something going on. Jesus, don't you see what my need is? But yet Jesus asked the question anyway. And I think the biggest reason why he does that is because we have to get to a place where we've wrapped our heart around the promises of God, and we can come into agreement with God and say, God, the promises that you made for my life, the will of God that you have for my life, the good things that you said you were going to do in my life, I remember when you said those things, and I've held on to them. I've put them deep in my heart. I've built my entire life on them, and I'm not going to keep going without asking you and asking and asking and asking. Remember, Pastor said this last, last week. We ask and we ask and we ask. We seek and we seek and we seek. We knock and we knock and we knock. I'm reminding you, God, about the promises that you made because I've aligned my heart. I've built my life on those promises, and I know that you are always good on your promises, and I'm telling you that I'm waiting for you to come through on your promises. Now here's the beauty of this. If you go forward into the New Testament, the Apostle Paul made this great statement. This is one of the scriptures that our church has been built on. Hold fast to your confession of faith, for he who promised is faithful. He who what? He who promised. I love this passage of scripture because when we talk about our confession, our confession aren't just words that we put up that are like the magic phrase that gets God's attention and we somehow align with his will. No, what we do is our confession in the original writing, confession, homo logo, same words, same as. Our confession is always the same thing that God has already said. So let me ask you today, what are you facing? When we think about the way in which we need God to work in our life, what do we do? We go back to the promises of God. We hold fast and we confess. We continue to remind God, God, this is the promise that you made. I've built my life upon this promise. God, these are your promises and I'm reminding you and I believe that you're faithful and that you're gonna come through on this promise. Moses remind God, this is the promise that you made to our ancestors and I'm pleading to you, God. I'm pleading to you. Don't destroy these people, but instead see them through this. Give them grace. Give them mercy. And the theme this morning is not the wrath of God that's sitting there waiting for us. Instead, we're talking about an honest conversation with God. 
I want to tell you today that one of the great ways in our prayer life and in our relationship with God and our friendship with God through prayer, some of the greatest ways that we can build our life and see God move through our prayer life is when we plead for the hand of God, when we connect our heart with the heart of God to see his hand move, when we pray for God to be glorified in every single area of our life, and we remind God, we plead to God, we appeal to God for his promises to be fulfilled in our life. That's how we see God move in our lives. If you read on in this story, the thing that we see next is, the Bible says that God relented. That the fire and the wrath of God didn't come down and consume these people, but instead Moses goes back down the mountain. Some other things happened after that. But I wanna tell you, I believe with my whole heart that when we connect our hearts with the heart of God, we see him move in our lives. This last Wednesday night, we had prayer here at the church. In fact, the next two Wednesdays, on Wednesday night at seven o'clock, we're gonna have prayer here. It's only a one hour time where we're just praying together. But every time we've ever had a, a night like that where we pray and we invite people to come and pray here at our church, one of the things that's so great about it is it doesn't matter how many people are here. It's not about the number. But to see people come in with this hunger and this desire to come before God and say, God, I wanna see you get involved in my life. God, I give you all these different areas of my life, of my life, of my relationships, of my friendships, of my career, of my workplace, and my family, and my church. God, I give you access to work in these areas. And we come to God and we plead to God and we ask God to get involved. These nights are so incredibly powerful. I can't even begin to tell you. And I would invite you the next two Wednesday nights to come and join us if you'd like at seven o'clock. But in closing, this is the last thing I wanna to say to you this morning. You know, two weeks ago, Pastor talked about how this month in January, we're gonna be putting a greater focus on prayer and fasting. I know that maybe you're here today and you've never fasted before. Maybe when we present that idea of fasting, it's something that you say, eh, that sounds hard. That sounds like not too much fun. I'm not so sure I wanna do that. Maybe when you think about putting increased focus on prayer and putting a greater focus on prayer, you'd say, eh, that sounds difficult because maybe prayer to you is a, a hard thing. I'm not putting you down by saying that. I think that we can all grow in our prayer life. But I have to be really honest with you and tell you that there are many of us who need God to do huge things in our life. I know that right now in this service, in this room, at this very moment, there are people in this room who you need God to move on your behalf big time. Like you're looking at some difficulties, some challenges. Honestly, you're looking at some impossibilities right now and you're saying, God, it's beyond me. It's beyond my own natural ability. I can't fix this on my own. And God, I need you to get involved. But sadly, I think that oftentimes many of us who have those great needs in our life and have a great need for God to get involved in a big way in our life, we don't actually put forth the effort to create space for God to come in, put a greater focus on prayer. When we talk about fasting, there's one real reason why we do it, because we're asking God, God, I'm creating a bigger space for you to come in. I wanna, be, I wanna have better access to you, God. I wanna be near, I wanna draw near to you, cut things out of my life, give more space to you to work in my life. And if you had a great need in your life, what great thing would you be willing to do to see God do it? What would you be willing to do? I'm not talking about making an unhealthy or an unwise or a crazy decision. I'm talking about asking God to come into your life because I recognize that God, I have a big need and I need a big God to do a big thing, so therefore I'm willing to make a big sacrifice to give you more time in prayer, to even fast if that's what it comes down to. What would you be willing to do to see God move in your life? 
We're about a week into, many of us who are fasting this week, we're about a week into this, and there's still a couple weeks that we're going to continue to pray and to fast and to ask God to have his way in our lives. And I want to tell you that if you haven't already done that, it's never too late to start. It's never too late to start. There's never a bad time to give God space and say, God, come in and move on my behalf. Because I want to tell you, I need God like never before, and I want to see the very best of what God has for my life this year in 2016. Is anybody with me this morning? Does anybody want to see God's very best for your life? Connect our heart with the heart of God. We ask for the hand of God to move in our life. We ask God to be glorified in our lives through our prayers, that he would receive glory, that he would do things that would bring glory to the name of Jesus. And then we appeal to God for his promises and ask them to be done in our lives. Amen. Amen. Can I pray for you this morning? Just while you're bowing your head, if you want to close your eyes, you can do that as well. We're almost done. We're going to be done really soon. I just want to ask everybody, just hang tight until we're finished, if you would, just out of respect for everybody else that's around you. If you're praying for some big things this month or you're putting a greater focus right now in this season of life and asking God to come in and do big things, my prayer today is that God would meet you. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would hear our prayers you would hear the cries of our heart, that you would hear the, the words of our mouth, the things that we say, that we wouldn't just be going through a religious ritual, Father, but we would see your hand moving in our life. And I pray that as you hear our prayers, God, that we would stand believing that you are going to act on those things which you have promised. God, for people who are facing difficulties, challenges, and possibilities, I pray today in Jesus' name that you would step in and make a way where there seems to be no other way, where we could never take credit for it, but that you, Jesus, would receive all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise for the great thing that you do in people's lives. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Just with heads bowed, I don't do this very often, but I've just felt so strong in my heart this morning. I think there's some people here this morning that you've been praying for your kids to come home to Jesus. Maybe you need to adopt the prayer of Moses and say, God, these are your kids whom you saved, whom you gave to me. I pray in Jesus' name that according to your word and according to your promises that you would bring them home. I want to tell you today that the arms of a loving father are out wide open for prodigal sons and daughters. And we want to stand with you and believe that God is going to do these things. Be encouraged in Jesus' name. Remind God of his promises in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I believe today that God's going to work on some parents' behalf today for your kids that are lost. I've had that in my heart since yesterday. And I believe God's going to do it. Jesus' name. Last thing I want to do this morning, my heads are still bowed and eyes closed. I thank you for your patience today. If you're here today, if you think about your own life, I ask you where you stand when it comes to your relationship with God. If you feel like God is distant, if you feel like you're not walking with God, maybe even more than that, maybe you've never made a decision to invite him into your heart. I want to tell you this, the greatest decision you could ever make is to bring Jesus into your life. The Bible says that God loved you and me so much in the midst of our sin and imperfection and all of our mistakes, they sent his very best, his perfect son, the spotless lamb, to take our place on a cross 
so that we could, we could unite our lives with Christ in the sacrifice he made. Jesus died for our sins, the death, the penalty that we deserved, but then God raised him up three days later so that you and I would not have to face death, hell, and the grave because Jesus conquered it forever. Maybe today you need to find purpose. I wanna tell you it's found in Jesus. Maybe when you think about eternity, you don't have peace. I wanna tell you that that peace is found in Jesus. We get it by believing in our heart that he did all of those things for us and then confessing it with our mouth. I wanna give you an opportunity this morning to pray a prayer. Wrap your heart around this prayer. Say these words with your mouth. And as a family, as a congregation, a body of believers, we're gonna pray this together. So would everybody repeat these words after me this morning and say, dear Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you rose from the dead, giving me hope for all of eternity. So today I choose you. I give you my heart because you chose me first and you gave your life for me. And from this day forward, I'll walk with you. I'll learn your ways and I want everything to change. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we just put our hands together this morning and welcome some people into God's family today?